Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. A three-run home run for Buckington. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. Bill Lee is now going over to a couple of the Yankees, and there they go again. Tech and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. And what can I say? Just dip my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. I'm Brian Shackman. He's John Senecal. This is episode 46. I mean, John, I'm sort of dedicating this episode to you. To me or yes. to Derek Jeter, we got to <laughs> yeah, right. I should, like I should say episode two, yep. right? And but we're going to talk about Jeter to start, and then we're going to sort of put the current affairs into place and sort of project what's happening because both the Red Sox and Yankees are in a little bit of trouble. But uh, you can be optimistic or uh, pessimistic based on what what's ahead. And then I I want to get some stuff from you on nine eleven because you both were in. Manhattan on 9-11 and covered that World Series the yep. best you could. So, uh, you know, it's just a lot to digest here in, in episode 46. But I do want to start with, I mean, the Hall of Fame, you know, it didn't have a ceremony last year. Uh, yesterday was mildly annoying for me to see all the number two jerseys. I mean, it's kind of cute to see a grandfather with number two shirt and a son with the number two shirt and his grandson with the number two <laughs> shirt. But at the same time, it's cool for the people who love love those fans. So, like, you didn't go. First of all, I want to ask you, why didn't you go? Uh, I mean, it's just not the good time of year for me to go, you know, with the kids and everything. And, you know, they're in so school. you wouldn't if, pluck them well, out of school? Was, and just if it was make over the... the summer, the plan was to go. Okay. If it was normally when it was in July, uh, the plan was to go. But, um I did watch it, um, and it was great. I mean, you, you know, he's, and you talk about the jerseys and all that, and it's just, you know, it's he's a guy who transcends sports. You know, you really he, think so? Yes, because he, listen, he's got he's got plays named after him. You know, he's got the flip play. Like, how many other play, players have that? You know, Willie right. Mays has the catch. Doug Flutie's got the hail mary. Jordan with the dunk. Jordan with the dunk, and then you know the tongue out. It, it's it's. It goes beyond baseball with Derek Jeter, and you know you you say you say he's too dry, but you know I say there's nothing boring. wrong with he's that. Boring, right? He's boring, but there's nothing wrong with being boring. And 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 the amazing thing is, which is even more amazing, is the guy meant ab- absolutely figured out how to do it in New York City. 
too. Well, yeah, I mean, for the I mean, Yankees. I think that that I go back to that. I mean, let's face it; he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't care. This whole debate about unanimous or not is such a garbage argument. It was nice that he took a shot at the one writer, right? Whoever that person may be, and I wonder who 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 it actually was. But I do think that you make a good point because New York kills people. I mean, it can really you could the pressure can you could get be the you, best player in the world, and you show go there, up in and New York. all of a sudden it just reduces you. It Boston can chew people up, but it's different. Boston, it's 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 the media, but it's in New York for some reason. I don't know. It's just to me, it's more about the media and the fans, but also just the distraction of New York itself. It takes people in, and they 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 have too much fun or right. whatever. Like it's they not get lost just in New York. Yeah, it's not just about the media and the fans getting it. We're, in Boston, it's the media and the fans. But the city itself is just like another city, and if you're a person of color, Boston's not a fun place for many of them. But in New York, it's you got money and you have options, and then you all of a sudden you're and mediocre. when you're the toast of the town, everything's getting thrown at you. But he was able in the hardest place to play to be the best right. in the hardest place to play, which I do have to give him uh, respect, and it's not even necessarily begrudging, but. You know, it just made me think about those Yankee teams, and yeah, I mean, he was boring, but he just—I just wished, you know, did he go off script at all? Did he did he do anything that wasn't perfect in that speech? It was no. I mean, he other than taking the shot at the writer, I mean, no, he didn't go off script. You know, he he thanked the right people. Um, I, you know, I did think it was interesting. You know, how he he talked about the the basically the two huge defining moments of his career happened within the first three years of when he was in the major leagues. And the first was when he was at the Baseball Writers Association and he was at the table with um, uh, Rachel, Ro- Rachel Robinson, yeah. Jackie's wife. Um, so, And he was there for like three hours at the table with her as a rookie, waiting to get the Rookie of the Year award and just sitting and talking with her. And he said he could not remember basically any of the conversation, just the fact that he was there with her and talking with her in that three hours with her was some of the most memorable time. Well, don't get, Before you get to the second one, but that strikes me as like, you know, Jeter's biracial, Jackie Robinson, obviously we know broke the color barrier. Jeter was never political. And I just wonder... You know, in this post-George Floyd world where everyone seems to be socially active, do you think he would have been? Given his personality, I, I don't think so. Would he have he, gotten he heat was, for that? Would he have gotten heat for it? I, I don't think so because he was such a master of not getting any heat in general. Not that he was, not that he like warranted the heat. But I think well, he, he stayed did, out of the fray. He didn't right. comment on stuff. Exactly. So I mean, he was he was so on brand all the time that it was just like you know. I don't ever see him if if the if the opportunity arose playing nowadays I don't see how it would ever come his way. See, it was like almost one of those things where people would just be like why even ask the guy? Like what it's not even worth it, you know? I just wonder if there would be more of a clamor for him to be involved at like a la LeBron. You know, you know, it could be. I don't know, but but I think that it's consistent with I'm sure there have been a clamor given his biracial status too, which yeah. is, you know, would have been huge. But you know, again, I don't think I just don't see Derek Jeter as being the person for that 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 platform. He was so calculated, and I've said this before on the podcast. I mean, just the sheer fact that he was smart enough honestly, and it sounds weird not to get married. And it's not like Relationships are great, and they can root you and bring you to greatness. But I also think that how many superstars get divorced or have some marriage of convenience, and he, he took it out of the equation. Or he just had, a distraction in general. Not that getting married is a bad thing, but if you're trying to play a professional sport and you're getting married, next thing comes a family, right? right? So were, that, that that is not an easy thing to juggle, right. regardless of how much money you got, how many nannies you got, and how many chefs you got. But I think it showed how calculated he was exactly. about his career. Exactly. Well, 
Go ahead. The other one I was going to say that he had talked about, huge defining moment, was 99 All-Star Game at Fenway, where Ted oh, Williams te- was in the wheelchair and Ted everyone Williams came was out. the first pitch, right? And everyone was uh, gathered around, and Derek said he was you know, kind of hanging in the back, and he felt a tap on his shoulder, and he looked, turned around, and it was Hank Aaron saying, I wanted to meet you. Hank Aaron said that to him. Yeah. Yeah. So can you imagine yourself being three years into the league? Right. Now, he's got two, what, three World Series championships. Well, he's going for his third. Right. Oh, he's got three, going for his fourth. But still, like Hank Aaron is tapping you on the shoulder, and you've got three years in the league, and he wants to meet you. That's wild. No, he, wait, no, wait. They, so they won three in the 90s. And 96, one in the, 98, 99. Right. And then one in, what was 2000, and then they were in the World Series in 2001, which we'll talk about. Um, and then, then 2009. And he was on that 09 yep. team, so he won five. Yep. Yep. One for each finger. Yogi's got 10. Yogi's got the most. Wow. But I think that five in the modern era is more impressive. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Because, I mean, the Yogi era, they just, I don't know, it just the spending was different, the the cachet was different, it's just everything was different. But I, I just think, listen, I'll hand it to him. It, 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 what I wanted to say about the Hall of Fame, though, we had Josh Rawich, the president of the Hall of Fame, on our morning show on WTIC in Connecticut, and uh, he just talked about, you know, the grandeur of it. And I think that when you see the Jeter inductions, you get it. Right, I mean, you just like it seems like a larger than life moment, and I, I, I think it's of like other the Hank Aaron, yeah, Kyle like, Ripken. It felt it felt that way, right. and and I think it was really. It wasn't good. like the Glavin Maddox, like it was. You know, Griffey was another one. Yeah, what was funny about Griffey when Griffey went in, he went in with Piazza, right? And Griffey was, I believe, the highest ever draft pick to go in at, oh, number one overall. Really? No then, other number one overall pick had ever made the Hall of Fame? Number, number, number one overall. Right. Right? I think Chipper Jones afterwards got in. He was a first rounder. There was a, there was a few others. Um, right. So Griffey was first pick, first round. Right. Yeah. Grant, now listen to this, though. When he goes in, Piazza goes in with him, and Piazza was, was like, like the 20, last pick. Yeah. Like the last pick in the right. draft as like a compensation for Tommy Lasorda. No, Lasorda did his dad. Lasorda knew his it's dad. Like his godfather or something yeah. like that. And so he like, picked think him. about that. Those two guys going at the same time. Like the most complete spectrum, opposite right. of the spectrum. Yeah, one has this incredible pedigree who was just said, "Here's the door, go in the go clubhouse." In the and Piazza literally was drafted as a favor, and nobody, Claude. nobody, nobody thought he had a prayer. I mean, I don't even back then the the baseball draft was like a gazillion rounds. Gazillion rounds. He was like the hundred and sixty second round. Or yeah, something. it was like, just it was like nuts. insane. Um, he, the, I encourage people to Google. Um, his appearance on Howard Stern years and years ago when he started to hit it big with the Mets, uh, his backstory on it. And listen, I'm sure he, I'm sure he did PEDs. I, I mean, I'm sure that he did. But I, I, did his name come up? Like there was sniffing. There was sniffing about it. I think it. he did. But you know what? Either way, everybody was doing it. So like, it's not right. a judgment call. But I do think that you know, even if you do them, it doesn't help you hit the ball. It helps you hit the ball farther. Right. So I think he had the talent all along, and he just steroids sort of, doesn't put you in the Hall of Fame. No, I I don't think it does, and I and so like, but the there's back, plenty of players out there that did steroids that, and did, that aren't even out close. In two, I know. Three years. But P, my point is, Piazza, you know, talked about why why it kicked in with him to the drive to make it when nobody thought he could, and those are the stories that I absolutely love. Whereas, you know, Jeter was just this incredible athlete all the way through, but I think it's his demeanor that I criticize that also is what made him great, which is I think is essentially you know your point. He's John Senecal. I'm Brian Shackman. This is Fan Base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, episode 46. All right, let's break it down to what's going on now because. Uh, 
I can basically say, you know, when we record, I try not to get into specifics because I, I want these podcasts to, you know, to last. And I think that it's it's basically safe to say that there are there are four or five teams. I mean, I I think that you consider the A's still in it and they're still in it. But I, yeah. I really look at when I look at schedules and momentum. I really think the Mariners, Blue Jays, Yankees, and Red Sox. I think there is a scenario that has the Yankees and Red Sox missing the playoffs. I mean, I think they both, in all honesty, could get bounced. But I do think I want to say about the Red Sox, you know, whether they're in the first wild card, second wild card, or whatever, I think that once they get their COVID folks back, you know, like Bogarts and their schedule, I actually think they're set up pretty well. Yeah. It, when, if they, you know, when they come back from the COVID and they, they the team's clicking right they're they're, they're not clicking, clicking. Well, they lost they lost a series to but Tampa but no one's going to beat Tampa anyway no one's going to beat Tampa right we know that and the, and Red, the Red Sox are playing better than they were when we talked last right so they they have a legit shot the Yankees have a legit shot even though they're not playing good right now the Yankees and Red Sox sit as the two teams but listen the way Toronto's playing and the way Toronto hits and the lineup that they have, the pitching has to be mediocre. It's like we talked about the Red Sox going through the season. The pitching had to be mediocre, right? And the thing is, if the if the Blue Jays keep hitting the way they do and they get into the playoffs, they can knock anybody around. Those guys can flat out hit. I actually think they can beat Tampa. Yes. I mean, I really do think they can. Whereas I don't, I don't think the Red. I I know the Red Sox can't beat Tampa in a seven game. Well, I can't so Toronto no. has six more games against Tampa. Yeah. Six more games, right? But I actually think that's good for the Yankees and the Red Sox yeah, because I, I I don't I I really think that. Well, I get, sat and watched the Tampa and the and the Red Sox beat on each other, and I'm just sitting there thinking, all you got to do is win, just win, right. win a damn game, and something good is going to happen for you. And I'm just sitting, oh, all right, they're going to win tomorrow. No, they're not. All yeah. right, they're going to win tomorrow. No, they're not. It's like unreal. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we learned this week, and we sort of go week to week, is that the Yankees and the Red Sox are really flawed. I mean, they're not. They're not great baseball teams, and 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 I think it's just. But with the Yankees, it's like who's going to be the flaw next? I feel like is the, is the manager going to screw it up? Is the shortstop going to screw it up? Right, and then is you the were, guy in the second hole that's batting 062? or Aaron Judge, who you're talking about for MVP, who it, all of a sudden can't hit. hit? Right, exactly. It's like what's going to happen next, and it's like I, I don't get it, and it's weird because I feel like the Yankees went against everything that they was working for them, and it started screwing them up. And then it just cascades into everything else. Like, they're not trying to steal bases. It's just, uh, whatever. It's, so, I mean, basically... It, and Garrett Cole's hurt, too. Let's yeah, not but forget I think about that. I think, I think they'll manage him well enough and yeah, he'll be okay. Yeah, you know, okay. like, listen, here's my take on that. If if you caught it in time or whatever, what was he doing out there pitching if you had some sort of inkling that the guy was hurt? He clearly wasn't on from the first pitch. So you think he tweaked it even before he... I, I would think I wouldn't think that he went out there and did something the first thing like oh don't worry about it Garrett just see how it goes right I feel again like the Yankees like some of the decisions they make are just plain out stupid like if Garrett Cole has any sort of injury they're done before the game right like why would you even put him out there like maybe he said oh I'm fine I'm fine oh, well it's Garrett Cole it's Garrett Cole I don't know I just don't get it like if he, if he's if he's gonna miss at least one start, like I said to you, like oh, he, it's not not a big deal. Like he went out the game yesterday, right? He went out of the game, so there, right there, is an impact. If he misses his next start, that's another impact for you. Sure, it affects. And how the many team. more starts do you have left? Three. Not, yeah, not many. So if I were to handicap it today, uh, Yankees, Red Sox, in or out? We know we are hot. Where the Yankees are change. playing right now, out. Really? 
the way they're playing now, yes, with like 20, what do they got, 23 games, 20 games left? Everybody's basically got 20 games left, right. say. So basically, you're not catching we, Tampa. It's the wild card hunt. Yep. And you're playing like crap, and you got to play good teams. Right, Boston has a little bit favorable schedule, but they still got to play the Yankees three more times. Right, they got to play what? They got to play a Yankee series. Chicago, Seattle, Baltimore, the Mets, who won't go away, but they also have four off days. So the schedule does favor Boston. Those late, that, that, that the West we- Coast swing a little bit. That weekend series with the Yankees is. Is going to be something. Any Yankee fan that's watching the Yankees play right now and thinks they have a legit shot of so making the playoffs is crazy. It's so funny, though. It's, it vacillates so quickly. It's I mean, two weeks ago, we had the nail in the coffin. A week ago, they're going to the World Series. And now, all of a sudden, you think that they're done. Um, it just well, shows I don't think you. we ever thought they were going to the World Series. Know, we got as far as can they beat Tampa. Right. 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 So we oh, yeah. all know you, and, the, you and Soroy's, Matt Soroy's the producer who helps produce the show, thought that they could. I remember Matt saying it was a four game it. stretch. He, Matt, he was like scratching his head. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not writing off them catching Tampa." Four and games with like thirty something left. You sure, could, you that could was catch doable, team. but now it's not. No, doable. No, it's definitely not. Doable. Uh, he's John Senecal. I'm Brian Shackman. This is fan base a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. I, I want to talk about September 11th and um, just first. Sort of describe your experience. You were a cameraman, videographer for NBC Connecticut, which is based in Hartford County, which is not close to New York. It's not Fairfield County, which is right over the border. But there were moments in your career where you had to drive down anyway. Just take me through your your day, and then we'll talk about the World Series. So that morning I'm out. I think I was changing the oil on my truck. And we get a phone call from my wife, and she's like, a plane hit the World Trade Center. Now, I, I remember like probably like a few weeks before, I think like did somebody like a plane flew into a building in New York or someone flew into the Statue of Liberty on like a paraglider or something like that. Right. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, it's just probably like, you know. Some, Small and hokey and whatever. Yeah, like whatever. And then so I went back to doing what I was doing and like she called back and she's like, no, I think it's really bad. You should go in and like watch, check out the news. And like literally like right as she said that, my pager goes, I mean, we still have pagers, dude. Right, still had pagers for the news. They would right. page you with like you clip it on, goes, you take it off the belt. Yeah, it was yeah. pre BlackBerry. I remember Brad Drazen exactly. was the first guy to have one, like two years later. Pre BlackBerry, yeah. right? Still had like the phone connected in the car. Yeah. All right. So pager goes off, and it's like call newsroom ASAP. So like me being all dumb and like I had to work nights that day, and we were gonna me and two of our two of the other guys that worked at the station we were gonna play some wiffle ball. So I was like, I call them and I'm like, oh, what's going on? They're like, oh, you know, there's a plane hit the World Trade Center. Were you like 25? Yeah, 25. And I had just started. I've been a year there. Um, And they're like, oh, a plane hit the World Trade Center. And the second plane hadn't hit yet. And uh, I'm like, like, well, you know, I got some stuff going on, you know, they do. And they're like, no, you got to come in. And I was like, all right, this is obviously something big. So get my stuff together, going to work. And by then, the next plane had hit. And my assignment when I got there was to go to Bridgeport. And as far down as we could go and get people that are coming out of New York City on the train. Right. Right. Whoever's trying to get out of there. So we go to Bridgeport and uh, we're there with like literally every station, you know, CBS. We're, I'm NBC, CBS, ABC. Uh, there's probably like, you know, like Fox is there. And the first train from New York gets out. And you could tell, like, there's definitely some people that have been, like, they got this like, soot on them and, you know, whatever. And uh, this one guy comes out, his name is Jimmy Vesquenza. And he was working on the 22nd floor, I believe, on Tower One. So he got out. And he worked for MetLife, I believe. Uh, no, Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, on the 22nd floor, I believe. And 
he came off the train and his parents met him there and it was his, like his mom, his dad, and, like his sister. Like these people obviously were probably freaking out, right? So they raced to the they raced to the uh train station in Bridgeport and they're meeting him there and we want to interview him. So of course we like, you know, we jump all over this guy and we're like there's right. every news crew is is talking to him and he just wants to walk. He's just walking with his family. So we start doing like a, what we call a perp walk, right? You're chasing him down. Well, I'm in front of him, right? Right. Some people are chasing him. I'm in front of him, right? Because I got the skills, Brian. Right. You know, I'm you a young gun, 25, coming right. from Rochester, New York. I'm ready to rock. Right. You're you know? flicking that camera flicking around. Flicking that like camera over my shoulder. I'm ready thick. to go. So, Which is crazy, though, because this is one of the big things I remember about that day for me um, was like literally I walked backwards. And I have the video. I have it all on video. I post it every year um, to remember um, I went like a good two blocks walking backwards with this guy and didn't drop. And it's, it's crazy. Like you can hear the other camera people hitting things and banging into posts and all that. But Who's your back, reporter? Uh, Bob Wilson. Okay. Bob Wilson. Who's he, now a TNH. TNH. Yep. Um, in, in New Haven. Yeah. So Jimmy Vasquenza and I, I mean, I can, I can remember this guy's voice like, like it's yesterday, he, you know, company, I want to say comp- company something, freaking heroes, he kept saying. There was no fear in these guys' eyes. They went right up by me in the stairs. You know, Fire, maybe, Firefighters. Firefighters. Yeah. So maybe some of those guys probably maybe never made it out. But you could literally see and hear this guy's voice was just complete. Just And this is after a ride from the city up to Bridgeport. But we had time to settle down. Right? Yeah. Plenty of time to kind of settle down. But he just completely scared out of his mind talking about burning bodies falling out of the building and hitting the top as he's walking out and the atrium and all this stuff and i had my stepbrothers work down there too at the time uh in world trade and the world trade center and they told me the same stories and you know he uh one of them you know he saw, saw the body bodies falling and he just took off running just running as far as he could run finally and then he just finally got like he didn't realize he was like three miles away um but anyway so we go after bridgeport we were going to the city. Oh, you could you get in? They didn't well, so we drove we drove the news car as far as we could get. I on one of the um, subway stations north of the city, and I can't even remember what street it was. But we basically just pulled the news car over. And I'm like, let's just try this station. The train. You get to like one twenty fifth, like with the something, bronzer. and just okay. leave. Left the news car there. Obviously, there's nobody coming to ticket your car. Like they got bigger things to do. Right. Um, so we get on the train and we go down, and. Um, we get into the city as far as we could go, and we get out. And uh, first thing I just remember is walking out and seeing just rows and rows of just like buses lined up to, for, to, to evacuate to, people. To, to, I guess to rotate workers or take people out. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was just weird, right? So we by that time it's getting towards the afternoon, and we getting down. And were you trying to get to Ground Zero? As far you, as we could go, okay. as far as we could go, right? As far as we could get down there, and. We're walking, and you can see the soot just get deeper and deeper and deeper as you're going. And the other thing I remember is just women's shoes everywhere, high heel shoes everywhere. Really? Because the they just they let just kicked them off and ran. Just just to run. You know, when those buildings fell, like people, you got to remember at the time, like people, like it's not now. Like people, we had no freaking clue what was going on to us. Like to us, it was just like something happened. It wasn't like if this happened now, dude, people would be like crawling into their basements. And like hunker down, waiting for like the end of the world. Like the magnitude of if you reflect back on the magnitude of the situation at the time, that we really had no clue of what we were about to get into. Right. Like think about that happening now. We I would literally think that the world is going to end. Right. Like nukes are going to start flying. Right. You know. But getting back to the you know the vivid memories of that, and then as the night fell, and you're walking, and we're trying to get closer, trying to get closer, and all of a sudden a spotlight would hit you, and it'd be like wrong way, and it'd be the cops with like their machine guns. 
Like you gotta, you, you, can't, you can't come be down here. here. You can't be here. So at one point, we wind up in the back of an AR, AMR ambulance. Like this is just crazy, right? I don't know how this happens. But Was we, there a victim in the? No, ambulance? we're just trying to get as far as we can up. Like this is just like it's news, dude. It's cutthroat. You Did know you I mean? go live? From down there? No, no, not, there's no, there was no live down there because you couldn't like, get a signal. First of all, well, yeah, first of all, we're we're a- NBC Connecticut. You know, you can say you're an O and O all you want, but when something owned like that op- happens, people who don't know owned and operated, owned by so NBC. we're owned by NBC, which yeah. is also owned WNBC New York, right. Chicago, LA. The same people that signed the big people's checks signed right. our checks, right? So you think you got some cred, but when you roll into a situation like that. You're the last your cred, priority. Exactly. Your cred falls out the so window. So you had to gather quick. material and bring it back. Did to you? WNBC. Okay. So we did wind up back at WNBC, but this is the time when you're hauling. This is not your cell phone era. Right. You have heavy equipment. Heavy equipment. So I'm just basically rolling in there with a camera, no tripod, just shooting from the hip, hoping my batteries don't die. Right. Which, you know, in that Always time, happens. Always happens. The batteries weighed half as much as the camera. You got them looped around your waist. It's just like, it's nothing like you have now. If we rolled in there now, first of all, I wouldn't even go there because I'd just be jacking stuff off the off the internet that people were putting up from the right. scene. Right. So we end up in the back of this AMR ambulance and we're going over the, 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 the fire hose. It's that's what I remember. Just driving over fire hoses down okay, these streets. God, it's not because, bodies or something. And we're looking. No, definitely not bodies. So I'm looking out the front of this ambulance, and it's just you can just tell we're just not in an area we need to be in, right? right? And you could see like the I call it the pitchforks, the pillars of the you know the the symbolic sides yeah. of the thing. And then I'm just like, this is not good. We I don't know why we're down here. Like we have literally like we're not going down there. Like somehow we just. We're driving. Bribed into this ambulance. Yeah. We worked our way into it, you know, like con these people to take us down there. And at one point I look over and they stop and there's this person, person's talking to him. And I look out the side and it's like this dude with like the longest rifle and machine gun I've ever seen in my life and tactical gear and all that. And at that point I'm thinking, all right, so if this guy comes into this truck, he's not asking like, who are you, what you're doing? And he's like, either it's going to be like, I'm getting my... I'm getting choked out. Something. Something good's not going to happen. Like, right. there's no reason for me to be down there. Right. You know what I mean? There's right. no reason for us to be but down there. But you're being a journalist. That's your job. Right. Is so to at do that, that point, like, they, I think it was just like they told us to turn around, and I was all for that. And we went back out. So then now we're on the sidewalk, right? In the middle, basically in the middle of Manhattan. Right. And now we got to find our way back to WNBC. There's no public trans. No public transportation. I could still remember, like, literally standing in the middle of, like, Fifth Avenue. And like you could have laid down in it, dude. Nothing. You could have laid down in it, fallen asleep, and nothing. Nothing would have happened. And then everywhere you looked, there was just cases and cases and cases of water and women's shoes and soot. It was crazy. That's, it was crazy. So let's transition. John Senecal here, Brian Shackman, fan base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, talking about his reflections on 9-11. The reason I bring it up, not only is it such a unique experience that very few people had, John, is that then what, I don't know, six weeks or whatever, two two months later, you're trying to cover the World Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks yeah. and the New York Yankees. And because of security, you couldn't even get so into going the back stadium. to the cred thing, right? Like they literally had like the MLB crew that right. was in there. And then like just one rep from WABC was probably like Bruce Beck. Yeah. Um, and then one rep from like- The other the, stations. And I believe like, you know, this is- NBC might have. I think it was on Fox by then. I think it was on Fox yeah, by I then. Yeah, I think it had already. Um, so, anyways, yeah. So the best we could do was outside. So our angle was let's do a piece on the fans coming back, the security, because you know, that was the game President Bush was going to throw out the first pitch, which was one of the best pitches. Crazy, first right? Pitches so ever. like they had, I think it was three different Marine ones flew in over the stadium. 
and landed as decoys. Who didn't know which one he was in? Um, so if anybody had been to a baseball game pre 9-11, you know, you would walk right in. Heck, you could get on an airplane 15 minutes before yeah. you got off, the flight took off. Totally. Now, granted, people might feel a little bit more hesitant, you know, uh, and, and, and uh, apprehensive to go into thing after 9-11. But if you would have saw the security that was to get into the Yankee Stadium at that point, between the, the dogs, the metal detectors, you know, the so-called sky radars right. and all this other stuff that they were pushing on you that they said they had and narcs here and there. But listen, if you got into that stadium, you there's nothing on you, <laughs> and you and you could pick off the president that day, then you were the most inside job on the planet. Because I I did the Olympics in in Salt Lake in '02, which wasn't which even was New York. A huge security, which was like everyone thought that where, was going to be the next big right. So I can't imagine what it was like in New York, you know, two months after 9/11, uh, with the president in attendance. I. But I covered I, that with Kevin Nathan. We went down. It's still one of the like the most memorable stories that we did, you know. And we never even got in the stadium. And I've been to plenty of playoff games. And I was at the Subway Series. And, yeah. and it was just just the fact that like a you were there to say you were there. B just to see like the difference. Right. You know, going to a place that you literally like if you're a Yankees fan, you've been there enough. Like you know it like by the back of your hand. It's like walking into your house and going through like 17 layers of people asking you what you're going to go in there for or whatever. Right. So. And so let me ask you in closing, how disappoint you know, because we've talked about this, um, I talked about this on the morning show on WTIC about how even I was sort of cheering for the Yankees. And I'm just curious, how how much of a bummer was it that they didn't, they didn't win it? It was a total bummer. You know, if, if, if you remember back the series, I mean, they were down the whole time in that series, and they kept coming back, coming back. And it was just like the whole fighting spirit in New York rise from the ashes, and then they go, and they, and they, and listen, you know, obviously you can say all you want if Jeter was playing back and the infield wasn't in, and you catch the ball, and where does right. it go? You can speculate forever, but the grand scheme of things is they lost. And then, yes, totally disappointed. I can still remember my wife and I were sitting in our condo in Bristol, and we had... New York, New York, queued up on our DVD, on our DVD, or uh, no, not DVD, CD player. Nice. We had, had it queued up, and then um, I think it was like what, Womack got a hit or something, Rivera threw the ball away, and she's like, they can still win. I'm like, I looked at her, I'm like, there is no possible way they're going to win this game right now. And I yeah. just remember just walking away, and that was it. But yeah, total, total. It just wasn't the storybook it, ending. It and, definitely wasn't. It wasn't. They, the and, and a lot of people wanted that uh, for the country. It was almost like they, the Diamondbacks felt bad. That they I felt won. bad for the Diamondbacks yeah. because, like, it's this pinnacle yep. of your life, and I felt like they couldn't celebrate it the way it should have been celebrated because it was that context. It's like the one storybook ending Jeter wasn't part of. Right. Hey, tell me this. So, is your nugget this week? Uh, is it is it nine eleven related? No, or? no. It's it's uh it's actually Jeter Hall of Fame related. Okay. What do you got? All right. So Jeter does his Hall of Fame speech and he thanks the players, right? And he thanks Posada. I think like Pettit. Sure. Uh, like the core four. And no, he also yeah, mentions know. the first person he mentions was Gerald Williams. So Gerald people, Williams, not Bernie. Not Bernie Williams. So a lot of people are like, well, who's You Ger-? know Gerald Williams. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of people say, well, who's Gerald Williams, right? Well, Who Gerald, is Gerald Williams? Gerald Williams is from Laplace, Louisiana. He went to East St. John's High School with Bobby Dickerson. They graduated together. Bobby and Gerald are like really good friends. Huh. So that's how I met Gerald Williams was through Bobby, but not Gerald and Bobby actually played together in Albany in 1990. And that's how I like officially met Gerald. 
Now, Gerald wound up being in Bobby's wedding, and I think Bobby got married in like 1990. And you went to that wedding. And I was in Bobby's wedding as one of like the ushers. So it was like me, Gerald, some of Bobby's high school. Or Again, I got to repeat to people, you met Dickerson going to minor league games, and you end up with a friendship that ended up with him and your wedding. That's just it's amazing. Yeah, it's me really, and his wedding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With with Gerald Williams. Now, like, people wouldn't think, like, Gerald Williams is a household name, right? Like, now, if you look back at, like, I want to say it was in 96 or 98. When did Doc Gooden throw his no-hitter? No idea. Saved his no-hitter. Now, he wound up getting traded for, I think it was for Graham Lloyd to the- Graham Lloyd. So, it must have been 96 or 98. Um, to the Brewers. And he didn't wind up getting a World Series ring that year. And I know he was definitely bitter about that. And he got traded pretty late in the season. So- and he was a big part of that season. But Gerald Williams was an excellent baseball player. And his nickname was Ice because he was so cool. And I'll tell you something. When they say Ice, like, it's like the dude, had, like, he never sweat. He would never sweat. Like, I, I remember hanging out with him in, down in Louisiana. And I was, like, in high school. I think I was, like, a senior in high school in the off season. And the dude was, like, dunking on me in Bobby's parents' driveway. Like, a, just like a, like a, you know, like a ghetto hoops. Right. And it's like, like, it was nothing. Like, at a 10-foot... Hoop. He's just a great athlete. Just a great athlete. So what's the nugget? And then um, he, uh, I remember watching him take batting practice on the field, like in the in a cage and like the poles on the thing. He would say, "What pole do you want me to hit?" And he would hit the poles. Unbelievable. On call. On cue. On cue. Second one, third one, and that's Gerald Williams, right. dude. Just right? shows you what the big dogs really can what do. What the big dogs really could do. No, that's my nugget. Yeah. Ger- D- Derek Jeter into the Hall of Fame. Thanks, Gerald Williams, who's one of his best friends. Now, they, they must have met at Derek Jeter's first spring training in 92 because Gerald- Was on his way out, right? Was on his way out. And they, well, in the minor leagues, they never really played with each other, right? Because right. Derek was just coming in and Gerald had already been in a couple of years. So they weren't at the same level by the time they, you know, so that- So, so was he some, sort of, some been, sort of mentor type thing? Must have been. Interesting. Yeah. I'd like to, I actually would be fun to ask Jeter- uh, about that and why he thanked him first. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the asks will be out in tenfold. He'll, so I so I talked to Bobby when I was down in Miami, right when they were playing Miami, San Diego, and um, he said he's going to come on the show with us after the season. Oh, but I also talked to him about trying to get Gerald on the show, and he said Gerald's a very big introvert, and he's not. He he's not really, interested in talking. He doesn't. He's not. He's not a big talker. Oh, so, funny. but hey, well, you good. never know. You Listen, never know. Uh, I really appreciate the insight on Jeter and 9/11 and that stuff. It's just. You know, really important baseball lover stuff. And um, so we'll be back with episode 47 next week with a special guest uh, for both of us. It's going to be hysterical. At least I hope it's going to be hysterical. And he's going to have some Jeter's tough to talk about. Yeah, it's going to make me nauseous. But uh, we'll reveal that next week. In the meantime, obviously enjoy this podcast wherever you're enjoying it now. Like it. Share it. Uh, This has been episode 46 of Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.